0: We are going to embark on a new study. But I want to give you a little background on why we're going to embark on this study. Because what you believe matters. Now, I know that there are those who will say, it doesn't matter what you believe, just so long as you believe something. I disagree. It does matter what you believe. It matters what you believe because generally you will act on that belief, unless either one, you really don't believe it, you're just saying so, or your belief is being affected by your unbelief, or... Your desires and what you want at the present overshadows down the road. I'll give you a couple of examples. Oftentimes, Christian young ladies will say they will only want to marry a Christian young man. And if they were truly operating under that belief, that that was best for them and best for their future family, then they would only date married, I mean married, they'd only date Christians. But oftentimes that's not the case because they'll date others and then hope that they will convert them to Christianity or whatever. And usually that doesn't work out so well. There are times that we will believe certain things And sometimes that belief doesn't operate because we don't fully trust the people that we are being told. So, for instance, if you've been a parent, you know that you've told your child, the stove is hot or the pan is hot, don't touch it. And how many of you, after having said that, have to go to the medicine cabinet and the icebox to get ice and some medicines because they ended up touching the hot stuff. And so we all too often operate under either a belief that isn't that sincerely held or not. And so it's no wonder that the world oftentimes wonder if we Christians have really found the Messiah because we don't act like we'd have. And so that's the background to this, is it does matter what you believe. And Paul writes this letter to the Galatians because of their belief. And in their case, they're turning from the true belief. And so as the introduction goes, you will see, and I will kind of do the introduction as we read the first a few verses rather than giving you the introduction and then scripture. So chapter 1 verse 1 of the letter to the Galatians. Paul, an apostle not sent from men nor the agency of man but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brethren who are with me. So he starts off and says as most letters did in that time uh, in our culture, we sign the letter at the end. In their culture, they let you know who was sending the letter initially. So Paul says, it's me. But Paul, because it's going to be important for him because of the content of the letter and what he's dealing with, to outlay that he is an apostle. That he has been called to that function and that ministry to the church. But he tells us that it wasn't through the agency of man, it wasn't that a bunch of guys got around and said, as they did by one disciple, one apostle, well, we need to fill out the 12, we're missing one, so let's figure out how to do that. Paul saying, I didn't become that through that agency. Jesus, the Son of God, and God the Father, called me to be an apostle. Now, you've got to remember Paul's background is he grew up in the traditions of Pharisaical Judaism. They followed the law, and nothing would be confirmed unless it was confirmed by the voices of two or three witnesses. So Paul is saying, my two witnesses that I have been called as an apostle are pretty good witnesses. It's Jesus, the Son of God, and God the Father. They're the ones who called me therefore you listen or don't listen at your peril because my appointment as an apostle came from them and he reminds them that it was God who raised Jesus from the dead that as we celebrated just last week that we worship and we follow one who is not in a tomb but one who is raised from the dead And he says that not only am I writing this letter, but there are others, but who are others with me is unimportant, so I'm not going to name them because it's the authority that God the Father and God the Son have given me to write this to you. And it says, to the churches of Galatia. As a part of the introduction, there's a discussion and a debate and a disagreement as to where this letter was going to. Now, first off, there's no debate in the sense of it's to more than one church. So it's going to be a circular letter. It was to arrive at this church in Galatia, and they were pass it on throughout. The question is, does Galatia mean a group of people or a province, a location, geography? There are those who believe that it was a group of people, the Celts, who occupied at this time the northern part of Turkey, and, there, and I won't bore you, we'll get into some of it later, why some people hold that position and others say, no, it was a matter of geography, that it was the province of Galatia. And one of the reasons that they say that is, that seems to be where Paul went on his first missionary journey. And so it seems apparent that he would write to those churches the date of the letter is probably somewhere around 4950 AD. Again, that's more assuming if you believe in the southern version that he's sending it to a province than the later version if he sent up north. But if you consider it, most scholars agree that it was probably around 4950 AD, which was less than 20 years after Jesus rose from the dead. So he writes this circular letter, and my answer to the debate of whether it's in the north or in the south is I have a preference. My preference is probably to the province, but my ultimate situation is I don't care because apparently it was written for my reading, and it may be helpful to know who the original addressees of the letter was but as a follower of Jesus, what have to be said here is important to me and whatever wisdom and guidance is provided in it. So it may be to the letter of the churches of Galatia, but as far as I'm concerned, it's also a letter to FBC West. Verse three says this, grace to you and peace from God, our father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So he kind of starts off his letter as most of his letters are when it comes to the various letters. He says, grace to you. Now this grace is, again, it's just not a formal, well, this is how you start off a letter. It is, I'm asking for unmerited favor on your behalf. I want you to have grace, to have unmerited favor. And quite frankly, I'd rather have unmerited favor than what I deserve. So he says, to you I want unmerited favor and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. It's not just peace, but it's peace with God the Father and His Son. It is a situation where we're not asking for the cessation of hostilities. We're not asking for an armistice. We're not asking for a ceasefire. Paul is saying we need peace. And all that entails, and as Jesus said, my peace I give to you. And so Paul's desire for this, the churches here is to have not only unmerited favor, but this peace with God, who gave himself for our sins so that he might rescue us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. This grace, this unmerited favor, and this peace that we are forgiven. It is because that God gave Jesus. The reason we have peace, the reason that there's no longer enmity between us and God is because God acted on our behalf, that he sent Jesus to forgive us of our sins, that we might be justified in him, that we might have not only a relationship with him, but one that is a reconciliation and peace. It's not a matter of, well, we're on talking terms. It's a matter of, we're family. And he rescued us from this present evil age. Didn't say that we are out of the world. He just says that we're not to be a part of it. So that he rescued us from what's going to happen in this evil age, even though that we're still here. To whom be the glory forever. Amen. very short, very succinct. This is unlike Paul's other letters, because he's going to now go into the reason that he wrote this letter. Typically, when Paul writes a letter to the church, he'll write and he'll say, you know, grace and peace to you and all that. And then he'll say something like, every, mention, or every thought of you in my prayers, I think of your love or your devotion or your faith. He gives them some compliment. And then we'll deal with some issues, but he compliments them in some way that they are doing well, and he encourages them, and they're doing well. Not so in this letter. He gets right to the problem. But I'm going to go back later when it says, To him be the glory forever. Amen. There is something I think very important here, that gives us a clue. And then he goes right to the problem, verse 6. I am amazed. I'm appalled. I can't believe that you are so quickly deserting. That's a particular word, that deserting. That's like somebody who's been stationed to guard or to be in a fight and have left the others behind. Deserted. You are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ. This desertion is not about a thing or a philosophy. You're deserting Jesus himself. That's a pretty bold attack that these churches in Galatia have decided to desert Jesus himself for a different gospel. See, as Paul is well aware, what you believe matters. And in this situation, what you believe really, really, really matters. So it says that they're deserting Christ for a different gospel. And then he goes, which is really not another. Only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. He's saying... There aren't many versions of the gospel. There aren't many versions of the good news. They're just one. Everything else is not a gospel. Everything else is a distortion of it. But there are those who have come to do that, that they want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed Paul is saying what we first preached to you the gospel the good news is the good news and if i come to you and say something different than i preached to you before not only is that wrong i should be accursed Even if an angelic being showed up and said, this is the true gospel, this is the true wisdom, this is the true knowledge, that that person and that angelic being is to be accursed. Now, if you have any knowledge of some other denominations, there's a denomination that claims that there was an angel who showed up and gave a different gospel. Paul's pretty blatant here, what he thinks of that denomination because they attempt to distort the gospel. And when it comes to salvation through this gospel, it really does matter what you believe. For you see, we can have debate and disagreement on certain aspects of theology, Some people, most people in our current society in America believe that we're going to have the rapture before the tribulation. Great. There are other people who believe that the church has to go through the tribulation, but they believe in a rapture. Great. One of those two views is right. And one of those two views is wrong. But we can still love each other in those view and have some nice conversations to try to convince each other the correctitude of our position. But there are certain things that are at the heart of our faith. And Paul's going to discuss what is at the heart of our faith, and to give you a clue, it's basically faith alone and Christ alone. That's the heart. And if you add anything or subtract anything from that, Paul's saying, not only are you wrong, you're going to be accursed if you try to present that as teaching. And then to make sure that they get it right, he says in verse 9, as we have said before, so I say again now, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you received, he is to be accursed The closest way I can get to this anathema word is in our common language, and I will end it, is "g-damned." Paul saying, may you be G-damned if you do this. You see, Paul really believes that the gospel is so important that it's not to be messed with. And so, I want to go back to that little word of glory. How is it that we might know whether somebody is distorting the gospel or any aspect of theology? If that argument, if that theology attempts, notice I say attempts, because no one can diminish the glory of God. But if your theology, if your argument, if your theory, if your gospel attempts to diminish the glory of God, then you're wrong. If you try to seek glory from man as opposed to glory of God, then you're wrong. And what the people here that he is going to be fighting against in this is they're going to try to say, "Yes, you receive something, but you got to maintain it," which means I keep the glory. It's God's glory that we always should be looking at. Because as the scripture says, for even those who don't recognize him now, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess Jesus as Lord to the glory of God the Father. So we should check on our faith and on our belief. Does it glorify or does it seek to diminish the glory of God? And I think that is a pretty good rule of thumb when you discuss aspects of theology, which was why I had some difficulties in my theology class didn't think they were glorifying God all that much. And then he's going to say something because in verse 10, he's saying, I've been called by God the Father and God the Son as an apostle. And therefore he says in verse 10, for am I now seeking the favor of men or of God? Or am I striving to please men? He's saying, so which is it? which do you think I'm trying to do? And oftentimes one of the ways you know that you're wrong is you're in the majority. Jesus says, narrow is the way and few who find it, but broad is the path to destruction. So Paul's saying, I was called not by men. I wasn't called by any church. I wasn't called by any of the churches in Galatia. I wasn't even called by Jerusalem. I wasn't called by Antioch. I was called by God. God's my boss. Therefore, I'm going to seek to please him, not you, because I understand who's my boss. That more pastors would understand that their true boss is God, not the congregation. That's why, if you haven't seen our banner, I'll tell you what it says. We are celebrating the 70th year in our community. And something I've always wanted to include, I've put in this banner. It says, under the same management. We've had a number of pastors, some good, not some other, not so good, and I'll let you decide what, how the current one's holding out or not. But the management... The boss has always been God. So Paul says, I don't care what you think of me. What I care is who I have been given this appointment to. And the way to continue to do that is to speak the truth as he has given it to me. So am I seeking the favor of men or of God, or am I striving to please men? If I was still trying to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. Now, I don't like the term bondservant. I understand why we use it, because here in America, we have a really bad history about slavery and the effects that that's had even to today. but a better translation of this is, I would not be a slave of Christ. You see, this is not something that he works for Jesus at no pay. This is, I'm owned by him. I have been purchased with a price. I'm no longer mine. I'm his. And he's saying, my owner, the one that I'm a slave to, is that is the one that I seek to please. And let's face it, if you seek to please people, you will have to change your story frequently because some people like this and some people like that and others think this and others think that. And there comes a time when you don't even know what you think because you're trying to please everybody else. That is why... I believe that speaking the truth of the scriptures is more important than trying to generate sorry to say another word people in the pews a church of 10,000 who have A hundred people who are seeking the Lord, following his will, and doing as he said, is no larger than the church of a hundred who have a hundred people seeking the Lord and his will and doing what he says. One just has a whole lot of other fluff, but the church is the same size. But we have this thought, oh, that's a massive church, and therefore it it must be, something good must be happening. I heard last week there's a church in another county, so so don't think it's in this one, that has a membership of 12,000 people. Pretty impressive, except 6,000 of those turn over every year. So they have to come up with another 6,000 people every year just to maintain their 12,000 membership. Do you think a turnover at that rate is really a church? It does matter what we believe, whether anybody else agrees. So Paul is writing because he's, he's told them they have so quickly deserted that which they were called. And their desertion wasn't to a philosophy. Their desertion wasn't to an attitude. Their desertion wasn't even from Paul. Their desertion was from Jesus Christ, who suffered and died for them. The next verse Paul tells us, which we'll look at next week, but the first verse in the chapter, he talks about his calling is from God. And in the 11th verse, his message is from God. So the question is, what do you believe? And who are you going to be obedient to? Paul says it is very important what you believe. And the message is from God, not from a man. It would be nice if you teach a Bible study and your students appreciate your teaching. It would be great if God has given you musical talent and you either through singing in the pews or singing in a band or in a choir or whatever, offer up your musical talent and people appreciate how well you play or how well you sing and how faithful you are and as a pastor it's wonderful when i do a message and people say that was a good message or appreciate that or made me think and and that's that's nice and let's face it as as a human we like to be appreciated But it is far, 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 far better that your students never say a word. The people who you sing to or for or whatever never say a word. The congregation never says a single word of appreciation and yet you hear, well done, good and faithful slave. because I have decided to follow Jesus. I've not decided to follow First Baptist. I've not decided to follow Baptist doctrine. I've not decided to follow the dictates of a congregation. I have decided to follow Jesus. Because his cross he carried for me. That I might have grace and peace with God. That I might be called a child of God. That I might know that nothing will separate me from His love. And so I have decided to follow, though no one goes with me. Whether the the entire congregation, no part of the congregation, or nobody else, I have decided to follow Jesus because it's that important. And I have decided to carry my cross, not because I earned my salvation, but because he said that as he died, so I died self that I might live to him. And I will continue to do that until he calls me home. So the invitation today is not get your theology right. The invitation today is don't leave your first love. Don't abandon him. If you've strayed, the awesome thing about our Lord is he goes after the lost. He doesn't necessarily wait for them to get home. Even in the the story of what we call the prodigal son, the father goes running to the son. We worship a God who doesn't say, huh, you were wrong you got to pay penance. It's welcome home. We've missed you. And you've been restored as if you've never left. What kind of awesome gospel is that? You don't have to self-flagellate. You don't have to pay a penance. You, don't have, you just are restored. It does depend on what you believe. Because if you have this gospel distorted, then you will have all kinds of crazy ideas about who God is. One of the best worst things about our experiences is that oftentimes our relationship with our Father affects our relationship with our Father. But even if you had a near-perfect Father, your near-perfect Father still is nowhere close to your Heavenly Father. And for those of you who didn't have a perfect Father, or for me, one who was taken long before I grew up, My view of my father, which is a good one, still doesn't compare to who he is. So if you are like those who Paul is writing to in Galatia and gotten messed up in theology, welcome home. If you're those who haven't gotten messed up and you're sure of your faith and the gospel, praise God, but know that there are always those who seek to distort the gospel. And that is true, and as true today as it was when Paul wrote this letter, perhaps in 50 or 49 AD. So why are we studying this? Because it does matter what we believe. And that we, as a church of the living God, Will present the gospel in as clear light as we can, so that those who hear it and see it might see it, and Paul and as we look at next week, will understand that sometimes the gospel is first viewed by those who presented, and that's what we're going to take a look at next week.